if we haven't met, my name is Lucas Dorado, and I'm the RUF minister at UConn. And I've been, uh, amazingly, it's been, it's been almost exactly about 10 years since the first time I ever uh, walked in here and preached up here. So a lot has happened uh, in that time, and it's been really good. And I'm really thankful for this church uh, because my ministry at UConn wouldn't exist without this church. Uh, you all support us so well in all kinds of ways, financially, uh, loving me and my family, loving the students involved in our ministry. So I'm deeply thankful for this connection, this partnership and ministry. And if you're wondering, just by way of update, you know, it's been a weird year to be a college student. It's been a hard year to be everyone this year. But uh, especially, you know, college students, it's a unique kind of time where you're supposed to be around a lot of people, and there aren't a lot of people around. And uh, but uh, our ministry continues on, and you know, it's been amazing to see God work uh, in spite of all the obstacles. And we just have a bunch of really neat students that uh, we're connected to. Some of them are here, so you need to get to know them, and uh, they're really great. And you know, God is good. And, uh, you know, we live in a time of division. And uh, so what better topic to discuss than love uh, at church this morning? And we're going to be looking at uh, this passage that's kind of one of those memory verse passages. Uh, it's First John chapter 4, uh, verses 7 through 12, uh, this explanation of love. And so let me read it for us. First John 4. 7 through 12. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Uh, let me pray for us uh, one more time. Uh, Father, as we now come to your word, uh, would you send your spirit uh, send your spirit to soften our hearts. Send your spirit to make sense of your word for us and apply it to our hearts. Uh, be glorified in this time of uh, studying your word, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So we're talking about love this morning, and you can't really talk about love without talking about all the songs that are about love, right? I mean, it's just a testament to the importance of love that, like, every art form is just, like, full of things about love, and songs in particular. Uh, I'll share a few song lyrics for you uh, that stick out to me. Uh, this first one is from a song called Inside of Love, and listen to what it says. It says, I want to know what it's like on the inside of love. I can't find my way in. I try again and again. I'm on the outside of love. Always under or above. Must be a different view to be a me with a you. Or how about this one? This is from the immensely popular song, uh, Don't Let Me Down. And it says, it's in my head, darling. I hope that you'll be here when I need you the most. So don't let me, don't let me, don't let me down. 
Uh, you can hear the desperation to be loved in these lyrics, right? Uh, you know, to be a me with a you. Isn't that what we all want? Uh, to know that there is someone who will be there when I need them the most. Someone who won't let me down. And we know that these pop songs are talking about a love that's not going to ultimately fulfill uh, and be ultimately satisfying. But that longing is so human, is it not? To just wonder, you know, is there someone for me? Is there someone who won't turn away from me? Who won't leave me behind? And we're born with this. You know, we know a lot more about babies than we used to. You know, my family, we've had two babies in the last few years. And uh, so we read up on all this stuff. And it's just amazing how, you know, babies come into the world looking for, like, who are my people? Who can I trust? And they can actually, like, babies are actually looking for faces that are smiling back at them. You know, and now when a baby is born, you just slap that thing right on the mom, Right? And they just sit there forever because the baby wants them. They want to be connected. And we know that now. Uh, so we're born with this uh, need for love. We were made for love. Life is about love. And the, the Apostle John, who wrote uh, the text that we're looking at this morning, was probably Jesus' closest friend. And he was all about love. Uh, there's actually a and Jerome was an early church father, and he wrote a commentary on the book of Galatians. And it tells the story about uh, John as a very elderly man in Ephesus at the very end of his life. And they used to carry him to church. And he couldn't really say anything except he was known to say just repeatedly, little children love one another. Little children love one another. And so I want to look at that this morning under three kind of headings. I want to look at the standard of love and then the cost of love, and then the source of love. So first of all, I want us to, as we study this text, look at the standard of love that's in it. It's very clear. Uh, John is very clear. He just says, whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And next verse in verse 8, he says, anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. One of those viral videos that's always going around on the internet last year that I liked a lot was this one where uh, at an NBA basketball game, this fan, he bought the exact like warm-up uniform that the team had, and he got a seat right next to the court. And they don't have barriers at those uh, NBA basketball games. And so when the, when the team's out there all warming up, he just like, at, a, at the right moment, he just like sidles onto the court and he's wearing the warm-up suit. And he starts like doing the warm, you know, like the moves, that, those weird moves that they all do to like loosen up and he's out there and it works for like 10 seconds and then a security guard sees him and just like makes a beeline to him and gets him off and starts like yelling at him and stuff. Uh, but, uh, you know, the security guard could see like, NBA players are all like 6'6 and taller and this guy was not tall and he was kind of pudgy too. So you could just look at him and no, you know, he doesn't belong <laughs> here. He, he's not an NBA basketball player, even though he's on the court, even though he's got the exact same clothes, he's doing the exact same moves, the same drills. You can take one look at him and know that he doesn't belong. And here John is talking about that idea with being godly or knowing God. He says, I can take one look at you and know by the quality of your love if you belong to God if you are godly, uh, if you're close to God. And if you don't love, what I know about you is that you're not godly. Ooh. He's saying love is the standard. 
Uh, it's not what you know. It's not your church attendance record. It's not how busy you stay with ministry. Uh, it's not how much of the Bible you've read or how put together your life is, although some of these things are very connected to love. Uh, it's about actual love. So if you do consider yourself a Christian, if you would say that you know God, uh, the question that this text is asking us is, are you a lover? You need to be a lover. You can't truly encounter this God and not become a lover. And to consider that, we need to think about what love actually is, because there's a lot of different ideas about what love actually is. And I want to hone in on the cost of love that we see in this passage, because today, love is mostly thought of as an emotion or a feeling uh, that can kind of wane, and, you know, it's associated with ideas like, oh, the warm and fuzzy feeling you get uh, when you love someone, which isn't all bad, but, you know, the question then becomes, what, what about when the warm and fuzzies go away? Uh, What about when people that we were once warm and fuzzy about become difficult to love? Uh, And if you walk away at that point, what that shows is that you never loved them all along. You loved uh, perhaps how they made you feel, or maybe you were only in it for what you could get. And so it was really about loving yourself. Uh, The example that uh, my students hear me use a lot is the first time I held hands with my wife, Maggie. I can remember the moment vividly. Uh, After a dinner out, we were walking down the sidewalk, and I decided to make the move. I was going (laughs) to grab her hand, and she grabbed back. And, you know, it's this electric moment, right? Uh, And you start to think, wow, like maybe I love this person. And really looking back, what I can see is that there's a lot of ego in that moment. You know, there's a lot of like, it's not so much about her. It's about like, I'm glad she wanted to hold hands with me. You know, like it's about like, this is great for me. I wasn't yet uh, thinking about what at all, what was good for her, what the cost might be of investing and loving her for a lifetime, about the commitment uh, that that would take. And as you get married, you learn more about that. Um, How do we know that God loves us? John doesn't really give any indication about like a warm, fuzzy feeling or anything like that, but instead, to prove the point, he says twice, he says, we know he loves us because he sent his son. He sent his son. Uh, What does that mean? Uh, It's really, you know, it's three words. He sent his son, four words. But it's massive because God is eternally three in one. You know, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have always been loving each other. It's the perfect relationship. And for God to send his son meant to be torn apart. Uh, Jesus had to become a man. Uh, He had to put on skin. He had to suffer. And not to mention the fact that God had to orchestrate thousands of years of history and patiently guide his people to the point where Jesus could come. And then Jesus had to die. You see the cost of love. Love is self-giving. There's a cost. And it's rooted in commitment. Uh, God gives and gives and gives, even though the cost is infinite, because at the beginning of the story, he bound himself to these people and really to this world. Uh, So uh, to know if you're someone who loves, you need to consider this question of, you know, what are the relationships that you have that are costing you? Uh, Tim Keller puts it this way. He says, the best way to love someone is to serve their best interest, even at your own expense. Are you doing that with someone? 
Are you thinking about people in your life that way? Are you stretching that beyond your immediate family to other people, to people in this church, to people in your vicinity? Uh, who, who have you bound yourself to no matter how challenging it is? Uh, do you seek friendships uh, because they'd be good for them? Or do you seek friendships because they'd be good for you? Uh, do you go out of your way to love, to encourage, to bless? Uh, as you think about plans for the future, do you think in terms of uh, the ways you might love and serve others? Or do you think about what would be good for you? As I think about those questions for myself, I'm immediately reminded of how selfish I am, about you know, how so much of the way I spend my day is just really about me and about how irritable I can get when someone's needs kind of uh, become an inconvenience to me, of how even I can make uh, selfishness look like selflessness, uh, of how I can make even my ministry, which is in theory all about other people, about me. Uh, a long time ago, there was a student at UConn uh, that I got to know well, and some friends had brought him to RUF, and he was not a believer, but he um, began to come to RUF, and I got to know him, and we used to meet up every week for a while, and, uh, and he was exploring the faith and really hung, hung up on this idea of grace, and you know, salvation is by grace alone, which means you don't contribute to it. Uh, you never could. Like, not, are good, you know, why can't God save good people? Uh, because you know, none of the works we do are good enough to merit anything from God. And he was really hung up on this, and we would talk about it, and he would say, but I, do, I love people, and I do good things. And i say, you know, I'm sure you do, but you know, what about, you know, is there any part of it that's tainted with just, even if the motivation is a little off, uh, it's not good enough for God. And uh, one week, so we met up, and... Uh, after a few weeks of meeting, and he showed up, and he said, I thought about you this weekend. And I said, oh, cool. Like, what do, you, what do you mean? And he said, well, I was at a gas station, and there was a guy begging for money, and I gave him some. And as I walked away, I thought, man, I'm a great guy. <laughs> and, he said, he, and he saw it, right? He saw that, like, you know, part, like, that's a very loving thing to do, but there's a part of it uh, that was for him. Um, so, what hope is there for selfish people like us? You know, if love is the standard, and love is active, and it's costly, and it's selfless, and it's committed in a way that most of us can't do all the time. And so this is, now I want to get into the source of love, which is where I want to camp out for a while. And, you know, the easy answer is the source is God. The source is Jesus. Uh, verse 10 is a big one in this passage. It says, and this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. And I just want to acknowledge that you can hear about God's love a lot and not really know it. You can hear about love a lot all your life and not really know it. Uh, Jonathan Edwards, uh, the great uh, theologian, pastor, who lived right around here 300 years ago or so, he used to put it like this. He'd say, you can hear that honey is sweet. You know, I could tell you that honey is sweet, and you could know that honey is sweet, but you really have to taste it. Uh, another pastor uh, I like a lot put it this way. He said, you know, the coin has to drop. And if you don't understand that expression, I'll explain it to you. Uh, there used to be these things called coins. <laughs> And you could buy things with them. 
And, there, and so vending machines, which now usually use credit cards and stuff, uh, you would put coins into the vending machine. And a lot of times, and you could, there were actually telephones that worked this way too. And you put a coin in, and sometimes what would happen is like it would go in and nothing would happen. Or it would go through and not like actually go into the slot where it was supposed to go. And so you had to do this thing where if it was stuck, you had to like shake it or something. And then the coin would drop. Like, you know, you can't see it, but there's this like invisible slot somewhere in there where this coin needs to land uh, so that you can buy your thing. And the coin needs to drop in just the right place. And the love of God is like that. The coin needs to drop. Uh, we need this so bad. Like, this love of God needs to go deep. I heard a story about a pastor and his family who were uh, on vacation, and uh, their family had uh, an adopted daughter. They had a few biological kids and an adopted daughter, and uh, their adopted daughter, as they were walking around the city where they were on vacation, was kind of hanging back behind them. And, you know, they'd walk around, and they're all together, and the adopted daughter is just a little bit back. And finally, the father says, well, why are you why don't you come up and walk with us? And the daughter says, uh, if I'm behind you, I can see you all. And if I, if I walk in front of you a bit, there's a chance that I might turn around and you might not be there anymore. So I need to stand behind you to make sure you're not going anywhere. And, you know, that's us, right? Because there's a lot of reasons that God could go somewhere with us. And yet in verse 10, it says, and this is love, uh, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. And there's just two keys to that verse. Uh, The first is he loved us. He. Uh, Christianity is not um, about God, us loving God. It's about God loving us. And God is holy. He's pure. And yet he loves unlovely people Uh, He's committed to us. Uh, He knows how selfish you are. It's not a surprise. Uh, And yet, God's love can change that. Uh, He can change that. Uh, One of the kids' movies that we've seen a hundred times in my house is Frozen. I know it's kind of old now, but uh, there's a lot of great truth in that movie, actually. And at the center of that movie is the gospel, which says only an act of true love can melt a frozen heart. Isn't that the gospel, right? Isn't that what this passage is about? And the truth is we all come to God with frozen hearts, right? Like, and our frozen hearts are our fault. We turned away. We were selfish. Our selfishness just ruins everything, and it makes our hearts more and more frozen, and yet God's love is a defiant love. He's not phased by it. Another way to put it, if you've ever read that great book by Jerry Bridges called Transforming Grace at the beginning of that book, uh, he talks about bankruptcy and uh, how we come to God bankrupt. And what we typically think of, you know, there's two types of bankruptcy. There's chapter 11, which is the most common, which is like, you know, we need some help, but we can get out of it. Like there can still be a business here if we get some help. And chapter 7 bankruptcy is like, no, this business will never make money again, and we just need to end it. And he says, you know, we like to think we're in the chapter 11, but we're really chapter 7 when we come to God. Uh, Romans 5 tells us, it says, we were sinners. We were enemies of God when we came to him. 
Uh, something that I've become pretty interested in lately in the news is uh, Nazi hunters. Uh, Nazi hunters still exist. Uh, there are people who are now 100 years old that are still being imprisoned for things that happened during World War II when they joined up with the Nazis. And uh, so there are people that have devoted their lives to finding every last one and making sure they are imprisoned. And uh, Simon Wiesenthal was a Nazi hunter. He's no longer alive. And he was a Polish Jew who was captured by the Nazis. And Simon Wiesenthal saw 80, or 89 of his relatives died at the hands of the Nazis. He even saw his own grandmother get killed by a Nazi. And then he was imprisoned himself, and he was uh, forced to work at a hospital during World War II. And at the hospital he worked at, uh, there was a German SS officer dying right at the end of his life, and he said he wanted to see a Jew. He was barely alive, but what he wanted was to beg for forgiveness before he died. Uh, he confessed uh, to Simon Wiesenthal that he had led a massacre of 300 Jews in the Ukraine. He begged for forgiveness as he gasped for air. He said, I'm haunted by my wrongs. And Simon Wiesenthal walked out of the room without saying a word. Who wouldn't, right? Given what he had been through, who wouldn't do that, right? Make this guy pay. Who would do anything different? And there's only one person, and his name is Jesus. Because Jesus loves defiantly. Uh, a book that many of us read this summer, and if you haven't read it, I'd encourage you to read. It's called Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. And listen to what he says in that book. He says, when we were running from God as fast as we could, building our own kingdoms and loving our own glory and lapping up the fraudulent pleasures of the world, repulsed by the beauty of God and shutting up our ears at his calls to come home, it was then in the hollowed-out horror of that revolting existence that the Prince of Heaven bade his adoring angels farewell. It was then that he put himself into the murderous hands of these very rebels in a divine strategy planned from eternity past to rinse muddy sinners clean and hug them into his own heart despite their squirmy attempt to get free and scrub themselves clean on their own. Christ went down into death. We applauded. We couldn't have cared less. We were weak, sinners, enemies. And what did Jesus say on the cross as he died? He said, Father, torch them. End them. He said, Father, forgive them. And I got to tell you, we live in a really unmerciful time. Uh, you know, because we have access to, like, what everyone's doing on the Internet, there's just all, every day, there's another story of someone who did something bad 10 years ago, 20 years ago, whatever, and it's immediately the question is like, oh, well, well did Netflix drop them yet? Did Disney drop them yet? You know, they shouldn't have a job anymore. Like, instant, right? It's merciless. And what you got to see is that God is not like Netflix, when your selfishness and your ugliness shine, God does not want to drop you. He says, I'll do anything to bring you out of it. I'll even die. And he does. In spite of how selfish you are, God is for you. Uh, one of the great uh, commercials of this past Super Bowl that kind of went around everywhere afterwards was the Toyota commercial about adoption and 
I don't know what it had to do with Toyota at all, but it was an amazing commercial. And uh, this, the, in the commercial, uh, it's this woman getting this phone call, and it says, you know, we've placed a child. We have a child for you. Uh, you're looking to adopt, and we have a child for you. And uh, it's like, great. And then it's like, well, the child is in Siberia. And uh, the child has a condition uh, that we're going to have to amputate both of its legs. And the woman says, okay. And the, the other woman says, no, you don't understand. This is going to be hard. And the woman says, it'll be hard, but it'll be amazing. God's love is defiant in that way, right? He wants to actually show off his love for the baddest people. He wants to show off how he can change them. But you might be sitting here wondering, well, how can he be for me, though? Like, I'm bad. Like, I, look how bad I am. And that's the second key in verse 10 is that, you know, in love, God sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Uh, another word for propitiation is atoning sacrifice. And it goes back to the Old Testament sacrificial system where a lamb without blemish could pay for the sins uh, as a substitute for God's, uh, for God's people who deserve to be cut off from God. Okay, the situation isn't that we just need to work on some things and become a little less selfish. We needed a full-on substitute because we cannot fix ourselves. Uh, we need a, a lamb without blemish, one who always loved to take our place. We need Jesus, a God who became man, to love like we were supposed to love and to die like we deserved to die. And he does. And so Jesus, as our propitiation for sins, can do two things. Uh, first, it takes care of our guilt. Uh, Jesus' record of love becomes our record of love. The gavel has come down in God's courtroom, and it says not guilty. In fact, uh, opposite of guilty, righteous. That's who Jesus makes us. And he also begins the process then of melting our frozen hearts. You know, what can melt a frozen heart? A defiant love like that. We see it on the cross. Never take your eyes off the cross. And as the passage winds down, uh, it says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And that's kind of the point. The whole point of God, Jesus loving us is to set us free to love. It's what we were made to do. There's no other way except to know the offensiveness of how selfish we've been and the extent of God's defiant love for selfish people. Uh, and it's just amazing because John even goes so far to say uh, love is how we experience God today. In verse 12, it says, no one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Isn't it interesting that he brings up the idea of seeing God? Because isn't that what we think? Like, you know, he says, no one has ever seen God. And I think like, man, if I could just see him, I would always obey. You know, if I could just see him once, surely my heart would be set right. And what this is saying is you can see him as you enter into loving community. You know, you don't see God, in other words, by climbing the tallest mountain and looking out, and, and that's how you see him. No, there's actually a much more tangible way that you could see him, which is loving people around you in community that's centered around Christ. As we love the people around us, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. 
So his call is to love the people around us and start inviting other people in to that love so they can know God. And when you fail at that, which you will, turn again and again to this God of grace who loves with a defiant love. Uh, If you really want to draw near to God and experience him, there's no other way than to enter into a community of love. Uh, What an opportunity we have right here. Do you want to see God? Let's be about this here. Uh, Let's be about this with our neighbors around us. And let's go forth and extend this defiant love of the God who made us. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, uh, thank you that you love even us. As I think about my own heart, uh, it is very hard to believe uh, that you could love me in this defiant way. And I'm thankful that you do. I pray that we would know it more. I pray that your spirit would make the coin drop for us and that we might become lovers, that we might extend your love, that you might be glorified. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.